Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a newlywed couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do, that we do, and, and This we... week, <laughs> Scott tried to kill me. <laughs> that, that's not... Okay. D- don't call the cops. You should. No, please. Send help. <laughs> <laughs> She's being sarcastic. Barely. Barely sarcastic. I need to lay down. <laughs> I need to lay down and talk about this movie. Ugh. It actually feels a lot better. Please. I'm laying on the floor. I don't care. <laughs> okay, so this week I introduced Frankie to... Theodore Rex, released in 1995 by some psychopath. <laughs> Yeah, this is uh this is a bad movie. Yeah, it's really bad. It's really really bad. Honestly, a lot of it doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, I was saying while we were watching it, it's barely like a so bad it's good movie. Cuz there are moments where I laughed at how weird and stupid it is, but mostly it was just frustratingly awful and confusing. Yeah, I saw it I was in college. It was probably 2011, so it's been nine years since I've seen this movie. It wasn't good then. It ain't good now. The basic plot, Whoopi Goldberg teams up with a T-Rex to solve a murder mystery. What? What the fuck? Yeah, uh, that sounds like quality programming. So, there was some controversy with this film. Whoopi Goldberg had actually made a verbal agreement to star in the film back in 1993. But when she finally had to, like, do it, she tried to back out, and the producer had sued her for $20 million. Yeah. So she then settled with them and agreed to star in the film, but they bumped up her paycheck to $7 million, which was $2 million more than the original agreement. This was five years after she had won an Oscar for Ghost. He wants me to tell you what he's saying word for word. Molly, you're in danger. Now you can't just blurt it out like that and quit moving around, will you? Because you start to make me dizzy. I'll just tell her in my own way. Molly, you in danger, girl. So, yeah, she should not have been doing this. <laughs> no, she really shouldn't have, and it's a mess. This whole movie is a goddamn mess. Counting Whoopi's $7 million, it cost $35 million to make and was released direct-to-video. It is still the highest-costing movie to be released direct-to-video. Yes, the reason that it was released direct-to-video is because when they were testing audiences for it, it tested really bad with older audiences. Surprise of all surprises. And they figured they could make some money in the kids' direct-to-video market because that was big at that time. And we were right in the age frame of this coming out to 1995. We would have been four, five years old. Right. You know, it would have been right in our wheelhouse to be like, hey, here's a movie about a talking dinosaur. Oh, isn't that great, kids? They murder each other, but that's fine, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's supposed to be like a buddy cop movie, but also there's talking dinosaurs and jokes about like, Oh, your breath stinks, and oh, you're a dinosaur, so your big tail swings and hits stuff. And it's All like, the time. It's supposed to be like kitty humor, but also it's a movie about a buddy cop duo trying to solve a murder. It doesn't make sense. 
But uh, this movie was written and directed by a Mr. Jonathan R. Boutel. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but who fucking cares? I'm surprised you didn't go the Alan Smith here out with this movie. I I tried to learn more about this gentleman just because out of sheer curiosity of how a person like this could create this movie. But there's really nothing about him in, in the intranets. But I did learn that he retired from directing after making this film. Again, surprise of all surprises. But he also said that the reason this film bombed was because the studio didn't market it properly. Um, Yeah, no, that's not not the issue. No. (laughs) That is not even kind of the issue here. Because not for nothing, like, how do you even try to market this movie? (laughs) Like, it doesn't know what it wants to be. It's got the kitty humor and the talking dinosaur puppets and it's got a lot of dark kind of imagery in there so let's talk about awards of course this movie had some presence in the razzies as well as the sinkers bad movie awards for the razzies whoopi goldberg was nominated for worst actress she somehow lost to demi moore in striptease no chance that i am gonna roll around naked in creamed corn with a bunch of drunken yahoos trying to stick niblets up my hoo-ha i've never seen that movie but i can pretty much guarantee that this is worse and then for the stinkers bad movie awards whoopi actually did win for worst after so made up for that that's that's good i'm sure she holds that award right next to her oscar there's also another thing I wanted to mention. There's a film festival entitled Fanta Festival. It's apparently an Italian sci-fi horror festival. In 1996, Whoopi Goldberg won for Best Actress. But other winners that year were Doug Bradley for Hellraiser Bloodline and Special Effects Award went to The Dentist. Which, if you don't know what The Dentist is... Look it up. It's it's a gem. I am not a monster! He's your worst nightmare. Oh my god! And he's going to drill you with fear. You're looking much better already. So, Italy's weird, I guess, is the moral of that story. <laughs> well, it, it sounds like a horror... It's horror sci-fi. This is, is, this, a... is this horror or sci-fi? Te- I mean, it's horrifying, for sure, but not in the way that it should be for Technically, horror. Technically, this movie would be considered science fiction. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying technically this movie would be considered science fiction. Because there are talking dinosaurs, cloning, freeze technology. Okay, sure. So, (laughs) So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of contention with the making of this movie, as well as the release of it. Reportedly, crew members were constantly leaving during the production because they were just so done with everything. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, this film has a critic score of goose egg, 0%, and an audience score of 19%. And speaking of audience, you know what? I thought that I could share some entertaining audience reviews. There were very few of them on Rotten Tomatoes, but I figured, you know what? I don't know if we're going to be able to entertain you guys with the plot of this movie, but we can at least entertain you with people's thoughts on it, (laughs) including our own. So, audience reviews for this movie include, and I quote, What unholy God would unleash such wrath on the world? (laughs) 
I would actually feel physically dirty with even the possibility that I might recommend this film to someone. <laughs> the greatest anti-drug movie I have ever seen. That I really agree with because honestly while I was watching this, I felt like this is what a sober person would put on the screen to make you think, oh, this is what drugs are supposed to feel like. You're high. You see dinosaurs talking. And uh, my personal favorite audience review is as follows. And I quote, <clears throat> Worse than a bowl of cancer with AIDS sprinkled on top. Ow. Boy, that escalated quickly. Just the visual that's presented there, I feel like, is wonderful. Yeah, that's... Um, that's definitely something. So, yeah, I... I guess I'm ready to get into this, Scott. Um, yeah, I guess we are. Since you did this to me, you want to start us off here? Yeah, the movie starts with the entire plot of this movie. Oh yes, as we do when we do Star Wars movies, we start off with a crawl. And the- da 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 I'm dying inside. I have to remember good things. Oh, God. The Star Wars crawl. That was fun, right? Remember? <laughs> Literally, the crawl of this movie explains the entire plot of this movie. It's not even a joke. It's the plot of the movie. It hurts my head. Okay, so what is the plot that is explained? <sighs> okay. I think his name is Kane. He's our main villain. But notice I said main villain, because there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's a, a lot of villains in this movie. Yeah, I, I have the hierarchy of villains as we go on. Ugh. So, Kane is a geneticist who created dinosaurs at one point just because he wanted to show that he could. He is collecting, like, Noah's Ark, two of every animal, to eventually launch a rocket into space called New Eden that will freeze the world, and then... He will slowly repopulate the world with these perfect specimens creating the... Paradise. Yeah. And, and they do this very British-sounding voiceover, and I immediately think, oh, they're taking themselves way too seriously. Literally, the movie starts, and within five minutes, I'm confused, so the crawl really has no purpose. It's just weird, and it's there, and why? Why? Lots of times, we will be asking, just why? <laughs> so, now we start with a random dinosaur in black and white. This is the only scene in black and white. Who's kind of dancing in the field, it seems. In this crawl, they don't explain why or how or if dinosaurs are a thing in this universe. Yeah. So, you get this really serious crawl... And then you just see a big, heaping, gross-looking dinosaur thing, and it's talking. And you're like, what? I'm confused. What am I looking at? <laughs> and the dinosaur is approached by Edge. Who's another villain. The second in command under oh Kane. God, who cares? Just, uh, just, there's too many villains in this. We'll get there, but there's there's just two now, and it's only two minutes in. Continue. So, Edge is like, we can't let you talk. And he pulls a gun and shoots, and a butterfly comes out of the gun. And it flutters over, 
to the dinosaur in black and white. And, and it explodes. The, yes, the butterfly's in color. Yeah, it's a cool... because artistic, I guess. I don't know. And the butterfly explodes. I'm finished! Finally, I'm a beautiful butterfly! That's right. The butterfly explodes. And then we cut to our main character, Theodore Rex, who's played by another big puppet who's a dinosaur, which looks ugly as fuck, and he's awaking from a nightmare. So what just happened was a nightmare, supposedly. Yes. And we meet Teddy Rex. Who is dressed in, in like, Ebenezer Scrooge nightgown, yeah, hat, booties. Yeah. It looks like the same kind of costume from that TV show. Dinosaurs? Yeah. Looks kind of like that But situation. Dinosaurs is actually funny. I don't know. I've never seen it. I've just heard of it. But yeah, that's like the aesthetic we're looking at. Not the mama. 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 You do that one more time and I'm going to throw you across the room. Not the mama. Not, not the, the mama. mama. So Theodore Rex is puppeteered by Bruce Lenoyle. I hope I'm saying that correctly. I really don't. I don't care. He is a, a well-known puppeteer. He's performed with the Muppets. A professional gentleman who, for some reason, thought that this was quality well, work. Well, I don't think that's the case. I think what you got to look at, especially as the 90s and 2000s started coming on, puppeteering in this form or another is slowly fading yeah, but, from the okay. mainstream. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't give a fuck about that. Let me tell you why. Our first real movie review in this series was for the Muppet movie, which came out in 1979, and the puppeteering in that is fucking great. The issue is that the puppeteering in this movie is jarringly bad. The eyes are always blinking very weirdly. The mouth movements never match up to what Theodore Rex is saying. Nothing is okay here, <laughs> as far as that. And then we have the voice acting for Theodore Rex. He is voiced by Mr. George Newbern, who also voiced Superman in the Justice League cartoon. I feel like I live in a world made of cardboard, always taking constant care not to break something, to break someone, never allowing myself to lose control, even for a moment, or someone could die. But you can take it, can't you, big man? So, this is also a professional person. <laughs> I don't know how this guy, Jonathan R. Buttface, that's what I'm calling him from now on, the director, I don't know how he managed to strong-arm all these professional individuals to being in this movie. Well, the studio strong-armed Whoopi. So. Let's see, take a $20 million loss or do the movie. Right, no, I get it. Like, uh, just how did this happen? I don't understand how any of this happened. So, Teddy wakes up, immediately picks up the phone, calls the police department, and goes, Hey, has anything weird happened tonight? <laughs> You serious? Oh, honey, I can tell you a million things right now that are weird. <laughs> because, mind you, still at this point, we don't know why there's a talking dinosaur. That's not a thing in normal life. So, like, you would think the movie would want to explain that to the audience and be like, don't be alarmed. This is fine. But no. <laughs> so, they're like, oh, yeah, there's a... Uh... 
There's a dinosaur that's been uh, killed in the carnival graveyard. What is that? A carnival graveyard? I don't know. Is that where, like, all the carnies are just buried? buried? Any carnival anywhere, they just bury them in this specific graveyard? Yeah, I guess. I think I'm giving this movie way too much How is that? credit. That, that, that Maybe, needs, I don't know. I feel like that needs to be, like, a B-horror movie. Or Carnival C- Graveyard. It does sound like the title to a fucking B-horror movie. Carnival Graveyard. <laughs> Coming to sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> just when you follow safe. Oh, my God. So now Teddy starts kicking off his clothes, and he starts getting oh, and he's ready. Like, yeah, he's like singing through everything he's doing. Almost like the director was like, okay, people are already going to be confused enough by the fact that this is a giant talking dinosaur flapping around in their face. We have to explain what he's doing every millisecond that he's moving. <laughs> and we get one last thing right before he leaves the apartment. He has a cookie launcher. Because that's a thing. And it launches a cookie into his hand and he eats it. Mm. It's like voice activated. He says, cookie! And then it flies into his hand. And it's like, okay, so this is a kid's movie? To me, a cookie launcher establishes kid's movie. Call me crazy, but that's what that does. And then five minutes later, the next scene, they're talking about murder investigations and homicides. The tone is unclear, is what I'm trying to say. So... We cut to now our next main character, Whoopi Goldberg. Who plays a police officer by the name of Katie Coltrane. And she apparently has recently returned to the force. Why she was away, we don't know. But she is working with her partner. What's the partner's name? We don't know. But We never really cares? find out. Nobody cares. Literally nobody. <laughs> so what happens is, these bad guys who are known as the Zapheads with Spinner. Who's another villain. Another villain, guys. It's not even 20 minutes in, and there are three villains that have been established. And goons. Oh, God, I can't anymore. So, the Zapheads and Spinner are chasing this random guy down the street while Coltrane and her partner watch. And they shoot him in the back run him over, and take his body. All again, while two cops watch it happen. And as they drive away, that's when Coltrane and her partner zip down, crash into the back of the car, and Coltrane starts talking to Spinner like she's a fucking witty-ass cop, just making puns and shit. Yeah, this is where we get the first indication that Whoopi obviously does not give a fuck about kind of acting even in this. It almost seems like she's purposely just like being over the top bad to fuck with the director, which I would totally believe. If I were her, I don't even know why I would even bother attempting to emote. Well, she's just laughing throughout this movie. Like, she's yeah, just like, are, this is ridiculous. Yeah, there are a couple of times where you'll catch like a smirk on her and you think like, you know, oh, it's part of the character. No, it's just her being done with life at this point. <laughs> so she's in the back with Spinner, and they're having this witty dialogue, and the car crashes. And as the car crashes, Spinner and the Zapheads get away. And oh, yeah, and Whoopi goes out to her partner, and she's like, oh, I thought you had the back covered. And he's like, well, I thought you had the front covered. And then all of a sudden, the van explodes. 
because explosions are fun, right? Indeed they are. Right? <laughs> and now they're left with just them and this dead body, and they can't identify the dead body. Ooh. Then we come over to Teddy, who is now at the carnival graveyard. Yeah, and there's like an active crime scene going on. And he's just walking around in the crime scene with this other police officer. And you're like, wait, is he a cop? And then, and then he says... Funny thing, I was home asleep, right? And all of a sudden, I had this flash. Deep down, I knew something was wrong. Wait, are you telling me that all you dinos are on the same wavelength? Well, it, it's kind of like we feel for each other. What? Wait, not only are you just throwing at us, the dinosaurs are in this universe and can talk and communicate with other people and have homes that they live in and eat cookies and have dogs. The fucking Theodore Rex has a dog. What? And then you just established that dinosaurs have psychic powers. And it's never addressed again anywhere in the movie. It's not addressed how or why this is happening. It just is a thing that needs to be accepted because movie. Did I rant long enough there? My 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 diaphragm hurts from ranting so vehemently. Oh dear, I love your rants. They're great. Thanks, dear. Thanks so much. Please continue before I hit you with my microphone. Okay. <laughs> You know what I'm going to put here? Sir, one more outburst. I will strangle you with my microphone wire. You understand me? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. So Teddy goes, okay, so where's the chief right now? And the cop tells him where the chief is. So Teddy's like, okay, I'm going to go to the chief. Teddy has this special car that fits his tail in. That will be important later. Oh, yes. Just placing it here. Teddy's tail is like its own character in this movie. It's so... It's so pronounced, so well characterized. And what I mean by that is it's just used as a cheap ploy to get slapsticky laughs, which it does not ever get. Not once. Nope. Nope. So Coltrane is walking down the street, minding her own business. Just just as an aside, the fucking costumes in this movie are fucking stupid. She's, like, wearing a fucking skin-tight black leather outfit. And, like, you'd think that that would look attractive because, you know, woman in a black tight outfit. That's sexy, right? Wrong. Donald supported the invasion of Iraq. Wrong. That is absolutely Wrong. proved over and over again. Wrong. Act- yeah, I don't think she was very comfortable in that. She just looks like she's being tortured. Which she probably is. She's walking down the street. And it, she has a funny, like, weird moment where she pets the stray dog. And she picks up the stray dog because that's what you're supposed to do. Like, if this is a kid's movie, you shouldn't be teaching children to just pick up stray dogs on the street. But that's, I mean, what do I know? I'm not an expert like Jonathan <laughs> R. Buttface. So, so <laughs> she picks up this stray dog. And it's very clear that they added in post growling sounds. Like, really vicious dog growling sounds. but. Whoopi Goldberg is smiling ear to ear and, like, cuddling this stray dog that is growling at her. It doesn't make any sense. So she takes this dog to our other 90s cop trope of 90s cops who are friends with children. 
Yeah, like, when was that considered okay? And it's not just in this movie. It's in, like, good buddy cop. Oh, yeah, they've done it before. Movies. It's just a thing that happened. I don't know. It's weird. Now it doesn't get done as much. Yeah. Unless it's a kid's movie. And usually the kid is in a bad family situation, like the parents are neglectful, or, like, the kid's, like, an orphan or something. Yeah. It's weird. But this kid wants Whoopi to hook up with his dad. He wants it. He wants it bad. It's like trying to parent trap his father with Whoopi Goldberg. And you can always count on me. A bruiser to the we will be. Let's get together. No, that's... We can't... Like, throughout this whole thing, we'll probably end up comparing certain tropes in this movie to other things in actual good movies, so... <laughs> well, the other thing is about this movie, this movie makes references all over the place to a ton of better movies. Yeah, I would think that if I was in this situation making a movie like this, I would want to not do that because I would not want to even make reference to the fact that other movies exist, let alone movies that are ten times better than this. It's always the sign of a weaker movie when you start referencing great movies. Some references are okay, but like you have to... Be careful with that because it will date the movie. With this movie, you don't really have to worry about that because it literally, I'm sure, became dated two months after it was released. I mean, if you just look at the production design in this movie, it's pretty obvious that it is incredibly dated. So the kid's like, come to my uh, hockey game at 9 a.m. tomorrow. She gets a call. She has to go. She's like, I'll try and make it there. Now we come back to Teddy, who is going into a gala where the chief is. It's a very fancy, like, black tie event. Just keep that in mind. But, yeah, Teddy shows up looking for the chief, and we meet the chief. The chief is played by Richard Roundtree, and if you don't know who that is by the name, Shaft. Who's the black private dick that's a sex machine to all the chicks? Shaft. You're damn right. It's Shaft, guys. It's... It's Shaft. Why is Shaft in this movie? I feel like this director, butt-face guy, he literally just went around blackmailing everyone that he possibly could to get them to be in this movie. And that's why we can't find any information on him because he's really a criminal mastermind. Uh, so Teddy walks into this gala, and here's a reference for you. He introduces himself as Rex. T-Rex. <laughs> so he starts talking to the chief, who introduces him to Mr. Kane, who he knows because Mr. Kane created him. So why does he have to be introduced to Mr. Kane? Digress. Yes, this is where we get like the introduction into why dinosaurs exist in this world and why they can talk. So basically, this Kane guy... He's definitely the John Hammond of this universe, which, hey, Jurassic Park was big. Yeah, because even later on, when he explains his Ice Age technology, he doesn't really explain why he wants to do that. He just did it because... He starts talking to the chief. He goes, I want to be put on this case. And the chief goes... Well, you're just kind of the PR guy here. Yeah, the press liaison. Which means, just putting it out there, he's not a police officer. So why would he be put on a case? Why? 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 
Wow! It's my dream to be a detective. Oh, and... yeah. It's my dream to be a detective, and that's why Mr. Kane created these dinosaurs, right? To make dreams come true. And we're like, no. <laughs> and Richard Roundtree goes, you're not running for mayor. Yeah, like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Like, this isn't a Disney movie. Stop talking about dreams and shit coming true. You're not Jiminy Cricket, okay? Theodore Rex walks away disappointed until he sees a tray of cookies. <gasps> now, this is why I have an issue, too. It seems like such a stupid bit picky thing, considering all the much bigger fish to fry we have in this movie. But, like, this is a black tie event. Very fancy, lots of rich people, hoity-toity-ness. Why would there just be a tray of chocolate chip cookies served as dessert? Like, wouldn't they serve, I don't know, like, flan or something? Isn't that fancy? I don't know. Flan. <laughs> I don't know, but like, a fancy dessert. Like, wh who serves cookies? Not, like, gourmet cookies. Just chocolate chips, ahoy, motherfuckers, at a fucking black tie event with rich, fancy people. Apparently, Theodore Rex thinks it's okay for the rich to eat cookies. I'm not saying it's not okay. <laughs> I'm just saying it seems unrealistic, I said about the movie with talking dinosaurs. So, while Teddy is munching on some cookies and flailing his tail around at people, the chief is talking to, like, his right-hand man. I don't remember what his name is, but I don't care. He says to the chief, like, hey, maybe we should put Teddy on this case. Because... Because it would look good for you. You know, you are... Uh, you see past a species and you see talent. Okay, I'm not a police officer. But I could have sworn that to be a police officer, you have to go to police academy and you have to learn certain protocol and all these things before you can officially become a police officer. I thought that was the tea. Is that not the tea? Is the tea cold? Well, they do say very shortly after this that Teddy did pass the academy. I don't know how he could, because I don't think a T-Rex could climb over a wall, because that's a thing. He's got little arms. Yeah, how do you climb over anything? You've got a big head and little arms. That's how bad this movie is, you guys. I'm making a reference to Meet the Robinsons. So... Richard Roundtree's like, you know what, Teddy? You're on the case. You have till tomorrow night to solve it. Yeah. Um, it's a murder. I don't think it's really reasonable, especially since this is a completely green, both literally and figuratively, officer that you want to solve this crime. Did you like my little joke? I did, that? I did. He's never been an actual cop before, but now you not only want him to solve a murder... But you want to solve it in less than 24 hours. Yeah, but pretty much. Okay. We're thinking way too much about the logic of this movie. Yeah, like... It's hurting my brain. <laughs> but also, there was another stipulation. The chief says, we're going to put you with a partner. Their name is Coltrane. And then we cut to this joke. And they cut to this, like, really buff army guy-looking fella. I think he's meant to be... An Arnold stand-in. The joke is like, oh, I guess this this must be Coltrane. But then, uh, no shit, duh, we fucking know it's not Coltrane because we met her already. Whoopi Goldberg comes up, pushes the buff army guy to the side, and walks over. And it's like, um, was that supposed to be funny? Hmm? No? No? Okay, got it. So, Richard Roundtree tells Whoopi that she is now partnering with Theodore Rex, and 
Whoopi says one line four separate times. It's a dinosaur. You two solved this case. It's a dinosaur. Every time she says it, I'm like, yes, I know. I get it. I understand. Me too. I understand. I feel you. Sometimes in this movie, when I would see fucking Whoopi Goldberg walking around with this fucking big dinosaur animatronic, I just pictured, like, what was she saying to herself while she was doing this? I won an Oscar. <laughs> and now I'm standing next to a dinosaur. Oh my god, it hurts. Now we learn the second-in-command of the police force is working with Mr. Kane. So this is now our fourth villain. Yeah. We, yeah, we have four villains and a gang of Jawa-looking goons all in this movie about a dinosaur solving a murder of another dinosaur that he psychically Connected visualized to. in his dreams. And Whoopi Goldberg. 95 was a weird time to be alive. Oh, yeah. So... Whoopi says, we have to go to the Natural History Museum to check out the body. Because when dinosaurs die, they don't go to the morgue. They go to the Natural History Museum. <laughs> Get it? Because dinosaurs in the museum. So they go up to the coroner. who is museum curator. curator. She is there with the dinosaur lying on the table. And she's like, yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to really look at him yet. And then all of a sudden... He sticks his little arms in this dinosaur and emits the weirdest guttural noises I've ever heard. So he pulls out part of the explosive butterfly. Wait, just let that sentence sink in, Scott. That's a sentence you just said with your mouth. I know. Genius! <laughs> and it turns out that this dinosaur is named Oliver Rex. Oliver is roommates with Molly Rex, turns out. Who is a dancer at this club. So Coltrane and Rex go to the club, which is called the Extinct Species Club. Really? That's the name of the club? This movie <laughs> has made so many stupid dinosaur jokes up at this point. You'd think that they would have some kind of pun-tastic name for this club. And there's so many options. You could have called it the Boneyard. You could have called it... You could have called it Jurassic Park. You could have called it Jurassic Park. Just something at least mildly clever. I mean, I wouldn't have had more respect for you, movie. <laughs> but at least I would have known that in your mind you were trying. It almost feels like it was a placeholder name until we found yeah, exactly. something yeah, better. Yeah, exactly. They're just like, ah, fuck it. Just leave it like that. Whoopi and Teddy sit down, and Teddy is explaining that he's a vegetarian, or mostly a vegetarian, yeah. and that humans aren't any better than dinosaurs, and Whoopi gets weirded out by a stegosaurus who is looking at her, touching right. itself. Yeah, it's like a whole thing, and it's supposed to be funny, but it's just uncomfortable and weird. But this is where we kind of start the whole thing that Coltrane and Rex are from two different worlds, but they're coming together to solve this case, and they're sort of kind of bickering with each other, but also they're bonding. It's no, no, because unlike actual good buddy cop movies where, like, there's two human beings forming a bond and a chemistry together, it's 
fucking Whoopi Goldberg talking to basically what can only be described as a giant mass of paper mache and whistles and wheels. Well, she goes to the bar because that's her answer to this. I mean, I I fucking wish I could have too, sweetie. I understand. And she continuously gets hit on by another dinosaur. Oh, and then we get introduced to Molly Rex, who the animatronic basically looks like Theodore Rex, just with eyelashes and a dress. You know how, like, cartoon characters, like Mickey Mouse, for example, Mickey Mouse looks like Mickey Mouse, and then if you look at Minnie Mouse, it just is Mickey Mouse, but with, like, a bow in her hair and some eyelashes. And a skirt. And a skirt, right. And she is voiced, this breaks my heart, by Carol Kane, fucking awesome actress. She played Valerie in The Princess Bride, my dream role in that movie. She did. <laughs> I'm your wife! But after what you just said, I'm not even sure I want to be that anymore! You never had it so good. I just don't understand. And she starts singing. There's there's a musical number in this movie, guys. And then the weird part about her singing in this is all while this is going on, Teddy's having his orgasm. God, yeah, I totally forgot about that, too. <laughs> so... <laughs> oh my god, I keep blocking things out just to protect myself. So... On one side, there's these ugly dinosaur animatronics hitting on Whoopi Goldberg and making noises there. Then we have Carol Kane singing her little number. That's over there. And then over here, we have fucking Rex at the bar watching Carol Kane dinosaur and audibly, loudly orgasming while she's singing. Oh, that is disgusting. And it's like, ew, stop it. (laughs) So all of that is happening at once. It is an assault on the senses. An assault. So finally Carol Kane finishes her song. Whoopi looks at this weird, smiling animatronic and goes, Hey, you think you're going to get somebody? (laughs) Goes and grabs Teddy and goes, Okay, let's go talk to her. Teddy and Coltrane are interviewing her, and Teddy tells her, uh, you know, I, I hate to tell you this, but your husband, Oliver, has died. And she's like, oh, Oliver is not my husband. He's just my roommate. But wait, so he thought that Oliver, this guy who was just brutally murdered, was Molly's husband. So you, in turn, while she's performing at a club, decide to audibly and obnoxiously orgasm while she's singing. And while you're interviewing her, up to that point, you're, like, clearly hitting on her. This woman who you believe has just lost her husband. Wow. This is this is our hero, guys. A real prince. Everything's weird. Nothing makes sense. Nothing is real. Life is a fallacy. We're all in the Matrix. <laughs> So Coltrane gets a call from the human coroner. Oh, yeah. So while she's working on this case, she's also simultaneously thinking about the other case with the other guy that died in the beginning, which I, by this point, had totally forgot about. It was just so traumatic for me watching this movie. I had blocked it out before the movie was even over. So Coltrane goes, Teddy, go straight home. I'm going to go deal with this. And so Teddy is driving home. As Coltrane goes to the coroner, and the coroner's like, yeah, he's a clone registered to Mr. Kane, 
Yeah, so there are also clones in this universe. Okay, that's the thing that's established here and never brought up why or how or Again. what. Nothing makes sense! So this guy has created dinosaurs and clones. They should show this movie in fucking film classes. Seriously. To tell you, this is not how you world build. <laughs> because you, you can't just throw out facts, like science fiction-y tropes at the audience without any explanation or reasoning and expect it to make sense and for everyone to just be like, oh, okay. So as Teddy's going home, Spinner and the Sapheads decide they're going to attack him. That sounds like a fucking band name. <laughs> Spinner and the Sapheads. That is so funny. So they are on roller skates following Teddy Rex's truck, which, by the way, roller skating villains are also kind of like a trope, too. Like, I think after Hackers... That became, like, a big thing. Like, oh, it's cool to ride roller skates. Roller skates are cool. They're extreme. Uh, and then Teddy, seeing this gang of goons dressed exactly the same with red glowing eyes and weapons in their hands, he goes, Trick or treat us out for an early Halloween. That's not a thing. No, but Scott, it's funny. It's funny because he thinks it's Halloween. Yeah. But it ain't Halloween. So they attack his truck and basically scrap it for parts and he can't do anything. Which, why do they do that? Um. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> why? Because they're bad guys and that's a bad thing. So they're like, let's do a bad thing because we're bad guys. Bad, bad, bad. There are more villains in this movie than there are in Spider-Man 3. That's crazy. That's so crazy that you said that. <laughs> that hurts my head. Anyway, so the police van that Teddy Rex was driving has been destroyed. The next day they go to the police station and they're talking to like the guy at the front desk and... The police officer's like, oh, well, we're not going to give you another police car because you got that one destroyed. As if he's the one that did it. It doesn't make any sense why they're so mad at him for being attacked by a gang of thugs. So Coltrane's like, okay, Tyler, you have to go undercover. We can't have you just looking like this. You have to look like an actual cop. Oh, yeah, this scene is weird. So mind you, before this scene begins, he is dressed in a sweatshirt over a T-shirt and jeans and sneakers. I think he's only in the sweat. I don't think he's wearing pants. He's not wearing pants at all. I don't think so. Becky, why? Why am I not wearing any pants? They're very constricting. Oh. Teddy walks up to another cop, and it's like, yeah, I'm told I gotta go undercover, so change my outfit because apparently Teddy can't change his own outfit. Well, once again, he's got a big head and little arms. This movie has established within a millisecond that this device exists where you step on this, like, platform and a cop sitting behind a desk punches a couple of keys and magically his outfit changes. But not only his outfit, his accent as well. At one point he becomes Irish. At another point, he becomes very stereotypical Mexican. But Scott, don't you know that the kids, the youths, they find the accents hysterical. Oh, yeah. Accents Hilarious. are funny. So finally, Coltrane walks up to her and goes, I just need him to look like a cop. And she's like, oh, okay. She punches in the last group of numbers, and he becomes in a, just a different colored sweatshirt and t-shirt, and now he has a pair of jeans. Because Levi's jeans make the man. <laughs> 
so we have to go interview Mr. Kane because the dinosaur who was dino murdered. Uh, it's a dino side. Dino side. That's how they refer to it. A dino side. Get it? Humorous play on words. And that's where the comedy comes at. So now both murders are simultaneously possibly connected to Kane. So they're like, okay, let's go talk to him. But they have to make a stop beforehand, and they stop at this hockey game of the kid that... Oh, yeah. Okay, let's go back to that now. So you'd think, since this child that apparently Coltrane is buddy-buddy with, invited Coltrane to come to this hockey game, that perhaps it's like a school event, maybe, or some kind of league of some sort where like parents generally go and watch their kids play. No, no, no. They show up, and... Coltrane is the only adult there. There are no other adults supervising these many, many children playing street hockey. And, and the kid gives Coltrane a badge holder. He sewed it with his own two hands. In the sweatshop he works at. <laughs> so now they go talk to Kane. So yeah, they're they're done with that pointless scene, and they now go and continue the fucking murder investigation that they were doing. That they have to solve in... Less than 12 hours now, probably. <laughs> and they meet his, his personal doctor, another villain, villain number five. Another one. Another one. Another one. Another one. Oh, and you know what's fucking weird, too? When they go to Kane's place, I don't know who fucking did the production design on this movie. Who? Who? <laughs> who would do this? The building basically looks like an archway... But at the ends of the arches are two hairy ball sacks. You know what it looks like? It looks like a meatball that, like, you know, uh, that, that like, nursery rhyme, like, I drop my poor meatball oh, when somebody oh, sees a two. It looks like that meatball that was rolling around the floor covered in snot and hair and dirt And, and the dust, hand holding it. And the hand holding it all placed up in arches, and that's that's the building that they're in. Yeah, so they walk into this building. Kane's like, you know, I'm working on this freezing technology that if we can take that gene and inject it into somebody, he, they can survive being frozen. He offers this information completely unprompted. Like, they're not even asking about that. Why, if this is the technology for your master plan to take over the world, why would you just volunteer that information to the police? <laughs> After Coltrane and Rex leave, they're like, okay, we need to get some insurance if they come back. So they have Edge kidnap the kid. Right, but they do it in a weird way. They set up by where he plays hockey and stuff, this fake arcade machine. And the kid just walks over to this machine. Then all of a sudden a hand pops through the screen, like it's a paper screen, and pulls the kid into the machine. It's a trap. There are less convoluted ways to kidnap a child. I wouldn't know personally. Yeah, don't kidnap children. I'm not a kidnapper of children or anyone for that matter. But I, I know for a fact that there are less complicated ways to kidnap people. So now they go to Oliver's funeral. And it turns out Oliver has been liquefied. Why do they liquefy dead dinosaurs? It's basically said that they become part of the flowers that they water. And they have... 
that person with them. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a botanist, but I feel like if you spray dead people juice or dead dinosaur juice onto flowers, they will also be dead. <laughs> well, if you bury somebody, the flowers can grow on them. Well, they they fertilize the soil. Well, yeah, but if you're liquefying a dead body, don't you have to use chemicals for that? I have no idea. I, I would imagine you do, unless you're like cremate. But no, but then if you cremate, then then it's ashes. So yeah, if you're liquefying a dead body, I would imagine. Again, I'm not a murderer, so or, or a psychopath. I don't know if this is true, but I feel like if you're gonna liquefy a corpse, you would need to use some kind of chemical. And then if you spray said chemical on flowers, it probably would kill the flowers. I don't know. Again, not a botanist. But yeah, maybe let's just not think about this too hard. That's my problem. I think about these things too hard, and then my brain hurts, and I want to go to bed. So so Coltrane's like, okay, after this, we're going to question everybody. Teddy Rex goes out to Coltrane and asks her if he can just go and walk Molly home during this murder investigation that, that they, they had to, to solve in under eight hours. Right. Whoopi Goldberg's like, yeah, sure, whatever, fine. Be back in an hour. Yeah. So he walks Molly home, but he doesn't walk her to her home. He walks her to his home because he's a little slut. They have a nice little dance sequence. A nice little dance sequence. A dance sequence. <laughs> <laughs> so after he has this dance sequence, he goes, Okay, Molly, I gotta go back to solving this murder investigation. Yeah, you stay here in my home, woman that I barely know and met yesterday. You stay here, have yourself a bubble bath, hang out with my dog, enjoy yourself. Teddy walks out and Coltrane's waiting for him in the garbage truck. And it goes to Teddy's perspective looking at Coltrane, but the camera keeps tilting Left and right. I guess what they're trying to do is make it seem like he's love struck, but it just looks awkward and it almost made me a little seasick, to be perfectly honest. The cinematography throughout this entire movie is really a shit show. That, coupled with the production design, just makes for an incredibly ugly looking film. But I did want to mention the cinematographer, David Tattersall. He's done a lot of other movies, uh, none of which that I could see are particularly good. David Tattersall did the cinematography for classics such as The Tooth Fairy, the Netflix Death Note movie, and last but not least, he did the cinematography for not one, not two, but all three Star Wars prequel films. So, I mean, ew. So Coltrane's like, stop being all pitted-patted, get in the freaking truck, basically. And, uh, yeah, and then they, like, shoehorn this plot point in where Teddy goes to Coltrane and is like, don't you ever get tired of keeping all your emotions bottled up inside? You should share your feelings sometimes. So they get a lead that the uh, Butterfly was made by a sixth villain. Another one. God! We don't need any more! <laughs> named the Toymaker. So they, they go to the Toymaker's factory. For some reason, they decide to 
throw in a fart joke in here because it's a kids movie, I guess. Fart jokes are funny because kids love farts. Ah. And then <laughs> they're sneaking around and Teddy he decides to verbally say the words tiptoe as he's walking. Tip toe. Stop with the tip tip. Don't tip tip. Just tiptoe. And okay. what is that smell? Is that you? It's not me. How could it be me? Did you? Look, I didn't butt trumpet. One of these Fine. things is leaking. Fine. You can just feel. Oh, you can feel her frustration. It's like, oh. Uh, so. Uh, so finally they, <laughs> they go meet the toy maker. Finally, they're like, okay, you're under arrest for creating this bomb. And he goes, you'll never catch me. Toy maker ducks down and drops this beetle that starts ticking. And they look at it and go, what do you think that is? I don't know, but I don't like that it's ticking. And they slowly start to back away. They literally stand there for like 10 minutes talking about this thing ticking. And it's like, okay, it's clearly a bomb. Because it's a little mechanical thing that's ticking and he threw it at you to run away. So clearly it's a bomb of some kind. So maybe like run away. Or, but also, the fucking thing ticks, like, the whole time they're talking. Like, if it was a real fucking movie, they would be talking, 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 and then, boom, it would blow up in their faces or something. But no. The toy maker's like, whew, I got away, and Teddy grabs him with his tail, and they start interrogating the toy maker. And the toy maker says, oh, I, I work for Kane. So they crash into Kane's mansion. Teddy's unconscious. A couple sap heads take Whoopi and are taking her away. She breaks out and goes to go find Sebastian. Because that's the kid's name, Whoopi's little friend. Teddy wakes up and the doctor and Kane are like, Teddy, you will be my last piece before I repopulate the world after I freeze it. And it turns out that they captured Molly. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So, theoretically... In Kane's master plan, Molly is going to be the lady dinosaur, and Teddy's going to be the male dinosaur, and they're going to repopulate. It's so stupid. The whole thing is stupid, but... The doctor starts to try and get ready to freeze Teddy, and Teddy just kind of, like, tail whips her into the fucking ice. Oh, yes, the tail thing finally comes back. That's what we've been building up to this whole time, all this tail humor. The tail saves the day. Hurrah! So, hooray. She, so now the doctor's frozen. Teddy's trying to save Molly and accidentally bats it with his tail and opens up her frozen container and she's free and they hug and you get the... Oh yeah, they're practically like fucking. They're like, I missed you so much. You're so I cold. I just saw you a couple hours ago but I missed you so much. Oh, you're so cold and you're so warm. Ew. <laughs> Gross. Coltrane, yeah. find Sebastian. Right. Let's go find Kane. Let's stop this. And suddenly Ed shoots at Coltrane, hitting her a, a couple of times. And she backs up and she's like fucked up. Mind you, it wasn't made perfectly clear up to this point. But apparently Coltrane is like a cyborg. Yeah. Because when they shoot her, she doesn't bleed or anything. Just like sparks erupt. And then she gets stuck and like she can't move. So she's a she's a robot. Which, did they do that because they wanted to make it make sense that she doesn't share her emotions because she doesn't have emotions because she's a robot? Or is that giving this movie way too much credit? That's giving this movie way too much credit. I would, I would say so, yes. Okay, just making sure that I'm on the same page as you. Please continue so we can end this and eat donuts and cry. 
Kane shoots at Teddy. Teddy gets hit. Maybe. I don't know. No. It's, it's weird because he says he's faking it, but then in the end of the movie, he has his arm in a sling. Yeah. So, did he get shot? I don't know. I don't think the movie knows. I don't think anyone knows. It's one of those big mysteries of film history. Kane shoots the missile off, and Kane and Edge start to walk away, and they get into a car. Teddy goes off, creates a fishing hook out of a metal bar and some rope, and as Kane and Edge drive by, he takes a fishing hook, hooks Kane, pulls him out of the car, Edge drives into a billboard and blows up. Teddy stops the missile. The world is saved. We cut to the award ceremony where Teddy is now called up by Richard Roundtree and being given the rank of detective. Because that is what this whole scenario has taught us. Is that dinosaurs can be detectives too. Even though they suck at life. And Richard Roundtree goes... You were right, Teddy. Dreams can come true. When you wish upon a star. So Sebastian's there with his father. That doesn't ever come to fruition. They don't. He doesn't get to talk yeah, to Whoopi Goldberg. No. Teddy starts walking out with Whoopi, and uh, Whoopi goes, "Oh, good, you're a detective." And he goes, "Yeah," and he goes, "I get to choose my own partner." So what are you doing for the next twenty years? And Whoopi goes, Oh, hell no! And as they walk off screen, now we get a black screen and we get a, See ya! It's almost like saying, like, Alright, now get the fuck out of here. We made you sit through this whole thing. Now, get out! And that was Theodore Rex. Um, so, like, if I were to rate this on a So Bad It's Good scale, I would rate this as, like, a two. It's barely so bad it's good in my mind. Yeah, I'd probably be at the same. On, like, a real-world scale, it would be, like, half a star. Well, I, yeah, it's a half-a-star movie. But, yeah, that is Theodore Rex. So next week, we will have part two of our stinker double feature. I will be introducing Scott to a stinker. This particular movie is a classic, but I feel like this is a film that you have to see to kind of be able to call yourself a so bad it's good movie lover so i'm excited to share that with scott and i'm excited to share our misery with all of you so until then this has been shoot the flick an official paradoja podcast and i have barely frankie sparks anymore and i am scott iceberg so make sure you check us out on instagram and twitter at shoot the flick And make sure you check out our weekly episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. We're pretty much there. And yeah, come back next week. Hopefully Theodore Rex has not completely broken our psyches. And we will return for yet another So Bad It's Good film. Goodbye, ladies and gentlemen.